Well, it's good to see all of you here this morning. You got up when the fish were biting. Good for you. And uh, you may be wondering my thoughts on Brexit, uh, Great Britain voting to remove herself from the European Union. Just quickly, uh, first thought I had was Revelation 17:12 predicts that in the tribulation future, there'll be a 10-nation confederation that will form in the west of Israel. I believe that'll be in Europe. And uh, possibly, most likely, in my opinion, would be the European Union. This will be headed in the future by Antichrist. According to Revelation 17, 13, the one purpose of this 10-nation confederation future is to give Antichrist power and authority. Uh, This confederation will wage war against the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, but the Lamb will overcome them, according to Revelation 17, verse 14. Now, we live in exciting days. Up until this past Thursday, June the 23rd, Great Britain was a major part of the European Union. Now there are 26 countries in that union instead of 27. And um, one thing I think is clear from all of this, that before the time of Revelation 17 and verse 12, um, either countries will drop out, further countries will drop out to come down to 10, or present geopolitical entities that we call countries will merge with one another. But by the time of tribulation, there'll be a 10-nation confederation uh, in west of Israel uh, headed by Antichrist that Jesus Christ will thoroughly defeat. I'm so glad that I've read the end of the book and we win. (laughs) We win. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the Lord of history, and that all things are tending to the culmination that you have ordained. We thank you that that is true for nations and the globe, but it's also true for our lives, our redeemed lives. We pray, Lord, that as we walk with you in in humility and dependence, filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, that we would be reflectors of your glory. We be holy as we have sung. May that be our heart's desire. Show us now how holiness looks when we deal with each other. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, we were in Romans chapter 14, and we were talking about Alberto Fargo, the dance instructor in Spain, who was teaching the tango to his students. Do you remember? He was taking an imaginary partner, showing how in the tango that you look skyward, hold your partner's hand skyward, and he tangoed right out of the fifth story of his dance studio to his death. And we said at that point that he was looking over and past the danger. He should have been looking at that open window with a low ledge that he would not go through it. And that would have been a beneficial thing if Alberto Fargo had been looking at the situation. Romans 14 is teaching us how things should be between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's telling us that ideally, We don't look down at other believers, nor do we look over and past them like they somehow don't matter. We are to look at them in love and acceptance. Uh, Some of us are are weaker believers. That means we have only opinions about issues. We don't have convictions based on what the Bible says about the particular issue. Others of us are stronger believers, meaning we have a knowledge of what the scriptures say about a particular issue. We have 
beliefs about that issue based on the Bible and not an opinion. And so this morning, we're going to see what Romans 14, 13 to 23 has to say to us, whether we're a weak Christian or a stronger Christian. And basically, we're going to see that we're to look at each other in verse 19, because that's mutually upbuilding, mutually edifying. We're not to look down on each other. We saw that as judging in verses 1 through 12 of chapter 14. And now this morning, particularly in verses 13 to 23, we're going to be seeing that we aren't to hinder other believers. We're not to look over and past them as if they somehow don't matter, as if we live an island to ourselves as believers. We're not to do that. So let's read the passage, uh, Romans 14, 13, loan your Bible to someone who may be beside you who doesn't have it. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men." So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves." But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. Oh God, help us now to understand these principles, not so we would get smarter. That's not nearly high enough an ambition. Help us, Lord, to be more like Jesus for having understood these verses. And we pray this in his name, amen. When I look at this passage, friends, I think verse 19 is the key verse. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And so when it comes to interpersonal relationships within the church between weak and strong believers, the objective ought to be this. It ought to be peace and mutual edification. Say that with me. Peace and mutual edification. Again, Peace and mutual edification. These are the things that are to be our ambitions when we're dealing with each other in the church. We are to be like a good parent. You know, really, good human parents shoot for peace and mutual upbuilding. And when a child is a little baby, the parents accommodate to his or her schedule and their needs. They focus on the baby and not on themselves. And when those babies grow to be teenagers, Good parents accommodate to that teenager's schedule and needs, and they promote respect and tolerance between siblings if there are more than one child. They focus on the teenagers and training them to be responsible adults. I want you to listen to Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Romans 14, 13 to 23. It's fresh in its wording, and I think it's helpful. Forget about deciding what's right for each other. 
Here's what you need to be concerned about, that you don't get in the way of someone else, making life more difficult than it already is. I'm convinced, Jesus convinced me, that everything as it is in itself is holy. We, of course, by the way we treat it or talk about it, can contaminate it. If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you are no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It is what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ. Do that, and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. So let's agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other. Help others with encouraging words. Don't drag them down by fault-finding. You're certainly not going to permit an argument over what is served or not served at supper to wreck God's work among you, are you? I said it before and I'll say it again. All food is good, but it can turn bad if you use it badly and if you use it to trip others up and send them sprawling. When you sit down to a meal, your primary concern should not be to feed your own face, but to share the life of Jesus. So be sensitive and courteous to others who are eating. Don't eat or say or do things that might interfere with the free exchange of love. Cultivate your own relationship with God, but don't impose it on others. You're fortunate if your behavior and belief are coherent. But if you're not sure, if you notice that you are acting in ways inconsistent with what you believe, some days trying to impose your opinions on others, other days just trying to please them, then you know that you're out of line. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. Isn't that good? Real helpful, real clear. And so we're saying that in the body of believers in the church, some are weak without convictions, only opinions. Some are strong with convictions on issues based on scripture. We are to look at each other with the goal of peace and mutual upbuilding, mutual edification. We're to look at each other as a wise and godly, kind, loving parent looks at a child. We're not to just be in it for our own liberties. We're not to run ramshod, roughshod over other Christians. Now, uh, when we look at other Christians, especially at weaker brothers and sisters in Christ without convictions, we should behave, we should talk, we should think like a good parent does with a young child. What does that look like? How should we look at a weaker brother or sister like a parent? What does that look like? Behaving and thinking with commitment to placing no stumbling block or obstacle in the weaker believer's way. Verse 13. Therefore, do not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. How does this look? Secondly, behave and think with love, preventing distress before it happens. Preventing distress in the relationship before it happens. First part of verse 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. How does this look with a weaker brother and sister? Behave and think with a determination to never devastate another's spiritual growth. We should have our ambition. We'll never devastate a weaker brother or sister's spiritual growth. Second part of verse 15. 
Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. How does it look when we look at each other as good parent, especially between stronger and weaker believers, between believers with convictions and Bible-based and with Christians that don't yet have convictions? We're to behave and think with caution that what I call good never be called evil by someone else. Verse 16, therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. How does it look as a good parent in an interpersonal relationship? You behave and think with an emphasis on the absolute essentials, not on the side dishes of Christian living. An emphasis on the absolute essentials of Christian living, not on the side peripheral issues, the side dishes. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How does it look when we are a good parent in our relationship with a stronger or a weaker brother in Christ? We behave and think with openness to scrutiny. Openness to scrutiny, both by God and by an unbelieving world. Verse 18, for he who is in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Further, how do you look like a good parent in an interpersonal relationship with a believer in this church? By making every effort strenuously. This is strenuous work. This looking at each other in love and peace and mutual edification. It's work. It's effort. Verse 19. So then, let us pursue things which make for peace the building up of one another. It is a pursuit. It doesn't fall in your lap. You have to go for it. How do we interact with strong and weak believers? How do the two interact? Well, like a good parent does. And we behave and think with a priority on the big picture. We don't nitpick. We consider the big picture, which is God's work in that other person. That's the big picture. God's work to make that person more like Jesus is the big picture. Forget the minor details that you might disagree on. Verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. Think of the big picture. It's carrying on. There's a lot in this passage. We should behave and think with higher value on stopping a fall of someone else than enjoying a personal pleasure we have freedom in Christ to enjoy. That's big. We ought to look at weaker brother or sister who does not yet have a conviction based on scripture. They only have an opinion and we should put a priority on having higher value on not causing them to fall than having uh, the use of a pleasure that we have as a freedom in Christ. That's unselfish. That's an other's orientation. That's verse 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. This is challenging. How do we interact with a weaker brother or sister if we're a stronger brother or sister? Well, we behave and think with personal dignity and integrity before God. Seeing Christian liberty 
as a potential danger to even oneself. Verse 22. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. How do we behave and think with someone who only has opinions about an issue that we have convictions about? Well, we behave and think giving good attention to one's own conscience. Giving good attention to one's own conscience, verse 23. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and whatever is not from faith is sin. That sounds like good parenting to me. That sounds like a stronger believer looking at a weaker believer in love and helping them, guarding them. Not looking over and past the weaker believer to just forge ahead with liberties one has in Christ as if that weaker Christian doesn't matter. Not looking down at a weaker believer who doesn't yet have a conviction about a matter that you now have a Bible-based conviction on, don't look down on them. Don't condescend to them. Don't criticize them. Don't judge them. Look at them. Work with them as a good parent works with a child. Do what's in the best interest of the weaker believer, not what's in your best interest. It should be like with real parents versus spiritual parents. We should do what's good for the child, not merely what's good for us. In New Orleans Cemetery is a monument which has created much interest. It represents a ship in the midst of a storm-tossed sea. A mother and child clinging together on the vessel On the base of the tombstone is an inscription saying they were drowned on July 4th, 1900. They were sole survivors of a large estate. And the question was under whose name should the estate be administered? The child's name or the mother's name? The court decided that it should be in the name of the child reckoning that the mother went down last because the mother would hold her in a place of safety to the end. A wonderful tribute to a mother's love. What this passage is saying, brothers and sisters, drown first. How is it that you live around a weaker Christian? In a manner of speaking, how do you drown first to your way? How do you drown first to your rights? How do you drown first to your freedoms? Or are you like a certain unholy church that let a Christmas tree reveal their vicious me-first attitudes? Ray Stedman Heard of a church some time ago that got into an unholy argument over whether they ought to have a Christmas tree at their Christmas program. Some thought that a tree was fine and others thought it was a pagan practice and they got so angry at each other that they actually got into fistfights over it. 
One group dragged the tree out, and then the other group dragged the tree in. They ended up suing each other in a court of law, and of course, the whole thing was spread in the newspapers for the entire community to read. What else could non-Christians conclude other than that the gospel consists of whether you have a Christmas tree or not? Those believers made such an important issue over it that they were ready to physically attack one another. Paul says here in this passage, that's utterly wrong. The main point of the Christian faith is not eating or drinking or Christmas trees. The main point of the Christian faith is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. A non-Christian looking at a Christian ought to see these things. He ought to see in that Christian righteousness, ought to see peace, ought to see joy, ought to see the Holy Spirit. Not wrangling and disputing and fighting in law courts, but righteousness. Friends, when we flaunt our own liberty in Christ, we are as foolish as Alberto Fargo in Lisbon, looking over and past the open window he tangoed out of to his death from the fifth story. And similarly, believers, when we flaunt our Christian liberty so as to completely look over and past a weaker believer, we risk our own spiritual demise and the weaker Christian's spiritual demise as well. This is the whole point of verse 16. Therefore, do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. Or verse 22, second part. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Maybe I could sum it up. Drown first. 21. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. When your child, you were parents, when your child was just learning to walk, you took her by the hand and you walked at her pace. You didn't make her walk at your adult pace. You walked at her pace. And those of us who are blessed to have surviving parents in their 80s, like Beth and myself have parents in our eight, their 80s, life goes full circle. Just like our daddies walked slowly when we were little, now we walk slowly with our daddies when they are very old. We accommodate. Our life's aim for our interpersonal relationships with other believers should be to bring peace and to mutually be built up to be more like Jesus. Our life's ambition and how we treat each other, how we look at each other, should be not looking down at one another, that's judging, not looking over and past each other, that's careless parenting and that's hindering. There was a married man who was getting ready to go to a formal dinner, suit and tie kind of dinner. And he wanted to use a white shirt that he had worn on a previous occasion. So he was inspecting the shirt very carefully to see if it was dirty or stained in any way so they should not wear it. 
his wife noticed what he was doing and called out, remember, dear, if it's doubtful, don't. That's what this passage is saying. If something's doubtful, don't. For the sake of the weaker brother or sister. It isn't about what you can do. We can do many things with our freedom in Christ. But we set aside the use of some of those freedoms. If it's doubtful to a weaker brother or sister, don't. When our first, do- first child, Joanna, was uh, in my arms as a little girl, I was a new dad. I'd never had a child to bless and to parent before Joanna. And I can remember how careful I was with Joanna when I would go upstairs, how even more careful I was holding her when I went downstairs. I can remember when I, in Canada, being around the edge of an iced over pond and how far back I stood from the edge of that pond because that's where the ice is the thinnest. And I didn't risk stepping on the ice that may have been thick enough in the middle of the pond, but thin on the edge. I didn't go near the edge because I didn't want to go into the ice cold water with my little girl. If it's doubtful, don't. Look at weaker Christians with love and parental care and strive to have peace with that person. Strive to have mutual edification with that person. Act like a wise and a loving parent. Make hindering that other believer your very last ambition. Don't flaunt your liberty at someone else's expense. There were two teenage daughters in a family, and one of the girls managed to do something to get herself grounded. She couldn't leave her room for some reason. Her sister, who was not grounded, went around mumbling, talking to herself loud enough for her grounded sister to hear, now where will I go today? To the pool? To the mall? To the park? So where will I go today? She flaunted her freedom to the frustration and anger of her grounded sister. Don't hinder another believer. Make that your very last ambition. In closing, I just want to have you think about some applicational questions. Can you think of any real life examples in your own life when a Christian that was more mature than you at that time judged you in your spiritual immaturity? Don't be that Christian. Can you think of a real-life example in your life when a more mature believer hindered you by creating a stumbling block for you or an obstacle for you? Don't be that Christian. Can you think of, in your life's experience, who the weaker believers are in your life? Who are the people who are saved but haven't gotten acquainted with God's book enough yet to have a Bible-based conviction about an issue. Can you think of who that is in your life right now? Can you commit before God that you will endeavor never to hinder that person with your freedom in Christ? That would be a good application to make this morning.
God's word is so practical and so helpful. May we take it to heart. I'm going to pray for this sermon's conclusion and for the offering we're about to receive. Heavenly Father, help us to pursue peace, to chase down the upbuilding of each other with other believers, to set aside the freedoms we may have in Christ when necessary, not to create a stumbling block or an obstacle to a person who's not yet in possession of a Bible-based conviction. Lord, help us to look at each other with respect and acceptance and love. For we who are stronger in the faith with conviction, may we look at the weaker person in this church family with love and parental care. And if it's doubtful, may we not do it. Lord, help us too to not live as though we are above others and others don't matter. Forgive us, Lord, if we have run roughshod over weaker believers in the past. Lord, thank you that you'll help us to put this passage into practice for your glory and the good of the whole body. As we contemplate giving back to you now, we do so with love and a mind that we only have anything to give back to you because you've graced us and gifted us with money. Help us to be faithful full of faith that you'll supply for our needs according to our glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, for those who have said goodbye to loved ones in our body this week. We think of the Cartwright family and Christopher's grandma went to be with the Lord. Comfort this family. We think of Agatha Christie's or Agatha Sawyer's family, Lord, with her brother David passing into glory. And also... We lift to you the Allen family as the memorial service for Betty's son Kendrick was yesterday. Comfort these, Lord, and others that are hurting today in this congregation. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's give to the Lord.